It's good to see each of you back tonight. Turn, if you would, to the book of John. The book of John is where we're going to be. of the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you'd help us uh, tonight, Lord, to consider what's being said. Lord, that we'd lay it to heart. And Lord, that if anyone needs this message specifically, that we would respond accordingly in a way that would be pleasing to you. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin tonight by mentioning something that may seem a little bit odd at first, but there is a point to this. Uh, yesterday, I had gone to the youth center, and I was going to uh, exercise. That was the idea, and then I got some uh, text messages and a phone call that interrupted all that, and I was sorely disappointed. You know, and I was there to exercise and to really work out, and anyways, I couldn't do that, but... Uh, uh, before the workout really got started, though, there was a man across from me in the room. Uh, I've seen him at the youth center before, but I have no idea who he is. I, I honestly have no idea who he is other than just that facial recognition. And so as I was sitting at one of the machines, he was sitting on the machine across from me, and he said, you going to the game today? And I thought, he's got to be talking to me. I'm the only other person in the room. And uh, I said, No. I said, you? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay. And I said, uh, when are you leaving? And he said, I'll hear in about an hour. And then he began to talk to me about OU football. And I thought, how does this guy know me? How does he know that I'm an OU football fan? I was telling Susie I never wear OU shirts. I never wear OU garb anywhere that I go anymore. Uh, this person who I don't know at all wanted to visit with me about OU football. And I thought, that's really odd. And over the last couple of years, I've had complete strangers stop me and visit with me uh, about different things and uh, ask me about the church. And I say that to say this, that to an extent, our church is making some kind of a, a presence in the community. You know, I, I don't, I don't know to what extent, and, and the only reason that I think that that guy knows anything about me is because I, mean, I don't, I don't know why else he would know about me. Okay, that's all. It's weird. It's like okay, it doesn't offend me. It was just, but the the fact that we have any presence in the community at all is because of you, the church family, helping us have a presence in the community. It's not me, certainly. I just happen to be the voice that people may hear on the radio or whatever it may be. Uh, yesterday, that same area had another guy say, have you winterized your boat yet? And I thought, how do you know I even have a boat? You know, and, and he said, well, I saw it in your, she said, I saw it in your driveway the other day. It's just, okay. Uh, yeah, it's winterized. I, I'm just saying, I want you to know that this church has somewhat of a presence in the community. And I'm saying that tonight for this reason. We're about to enter into a sermon. We're about to enter into a message. But you may leave here tonight and say, well, I know for sure that that sermon was not for me. And it may not be. It could be, though, for someone in here tonight. But we may leave here tonight and, and everybody say, well, that sermon wasn't for me. 
And that may be that this sermon may not be for anyone here tonight. But I do find it interesting, whenever I check the log, whenever I check the record, the number of times that people go to our website, apparently, and download the sermons and listen to them. I find that interesting that somebody somewhere is listening to the sermons that are downloaded on uh, the Internet and archived there. I also find it amazing sometimes the response we get via Facebook of the sermons that are watched and, and listened to. And then the fact that this sermon could end up on the radio at some point in the next few months. I just say all that to say this. If the sermon doesn't seem to be for you, it may be that somewhere along the way someone hears it and it is for them. And so tonight, I know that you know this, I just want you to to be mindful of it, that if it's not for you, it's okay if it is a help to someone else, and we can pray for it and ask the Lord to bless it, though it was not necessary in our lives. So that said, this evening I want to begin with a thought, I'm not going to be specific in this because we all know this to be true. But I want us to begin tonight by thinking about this, that in life there are certain things that must happen, that must take place. If we want a certain result to take place, then certain things must precede it to get to that end result. We're aware of that, right? Uh, Every one of us are involved in situations throughout life that if this is what we desire to be the end result, then this, whatever it is, has to happen before the end result can be present. So tonight I want us to think about that principle, that there are things that have to be done in order to produce this. There are things that must take place in order for this to be accomplished. And as we think about that, tonight I want us to think about a group of people that we read, through, read about throughout the Gospels. Uh, it, it's the people that uh, Christ gave much of his attention to, at different times, at different moments, and that would be the people referred to in the Scripture as the Pharisees. I think most of us are familiar with who the Pharisees were. They were the religious leaders in the day of Christ. They were the ones who had much sway. They were the one who had much authority. They were the one who had much influence in the affairs of their society, in the affairs of their region. And and as Christ directed his attention toward the Pharisees, We know that many times his attention, well, every time really, his attention given to the Pharisees was done so from a negative perspective if you were a Pharisee. Christ never spoke to the Pharisees in such a way that the Pharisees left and thought, well, wasn't that nice? Can you believe he said that about us? That was so polite of him. No, every time that Christ had interaction with the Pharisees, It was a negative experience for them. He was very critical of them. He called them out on their hypocrisy. He called them out on their ungodliness. He called them out on their lack of consistency. There were so many things that Christ called them out on. And so as you read through the scripture, there really is nothing about the Pharisees that we would say, well, that's an that's an admirable quality, that's something to be desired, that's something to be imitated. And at the same time, I want us to think about something tonight, because this is true regardless of how messed up their approach to life was. You and I cannot argue 
that the Pharisees that we read of in Scripture, they took serious the religion that they were a part of. As fouled up as it was, as messed up as it was, as unscriptural as it was, they were very devout in their practice, in their adherence to what they believed to be important. And so you couldn't really accuse them of being casual. You couldn't really accuse them of being nominal in their approach to what it was they believed. They were people who were very devout to their system of religion. At the same time, this is also true that while they had so many faults and flaws, I'm not trying to minimize that, as, as true as all that was, this is also true of them, that from a societal standpoint, they would have been deemed, for lack of better words, good people in the eyes of so many others. Generally speaking, the Pharisees were not an immoral group of people. At least that's not recorded for us. Generally speaking, these were not drunkards who were causing problems in society. Generally speaking, these were not the ones who were having issues with the domestic violence and the domestic abuse. That is not what they were known for. The Pharisees were very much concerned about the outward appearance, the outward actions that man would be able to see, they wanted to live in such a way that they could somehow garner or gain the praise of man and the respect of man. So while they were a horribly messed up and flawed group of people by way of a religious entity, you have to at least admit they were devout and they were serious about their flawed approach to life and again, from a societal standpoint, you would have to say, mm, overall, good people, not the ones causing most of the problems in their day. As you think about that, as we come to our text tonight, here is what we'll be aware of, and here is what most of you are already fully aware of, is that Christ has already started his public ministry He's no longer in the, in, the, in the backdrop, so to speak. Christ has been out. He has been public. He has been open in some of his miracles and what he has already accomplished. So Christ has already begun making a name for himself in the region. So as you turn to John chapter 3 tonight, we're going to read a familiar portion of Scripture. It's a portion of Scripture, it's a conversation between Nicodemus and Christ, and I think we would agree on this, that we don't have the whole conversation recorded for us. We have just enough given to us that we can put the pieces together and know what was being discussed and what was being addressed and, and what's being said. And I'll explain more as to why I say that in a couple of moments. But notice in verse number 1 it says this, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler or a leader of the Jews. So we know who Nicodemus is from this verse. We know at least something very important about him is that he was a Pharisee and he was among the rulers of the Jews. So if Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he was a ruler of the Jews, then what does that mean? It means this, that he would have been one of those men who was very devout and very loyal 
to his religious beliefs and to his religious approach. This was not a man, Nicodemus, this was not a man who was casual in his approach, half-hearted and not really serious about what he believed to be the right way to serve the Lord. Okay, Nicodemus was doing what he had been taught, what he had been uh, indoctrinated with by Pharisees before him. And so he was doing the religious thing that he had grown up doing, that he was told and taught to be right. And he was one who would have been a good man. But obviously, as the text lets us know, he's beginning to have some questions. He's beginning to take what he has seen in his life and comparing it to what he is seeing from the life and the ministry of Christ already. And it says in verse number 2 that Nicodemus, this same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. Now I think, again, most of us know this, most of us are aware of this, that that would have been a term of respect because the word rabbi means this, to be a teacher or to be one who is an instructor. And so here is Nicodemus who would have been a, a very influential man because of the position that he held, and he recognizes Jesus to be a rabbi, to be a teacher, to be an instructor. And notice what he says next. I find this interesting. I've never really thought about this before or given it any attention. But he said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Why is that important and why is that somewhat significant? Because we understand that the word we is plural and not singular. So what this means is this, is that Nicodemus obviously had had some conversation with some others. This was not just some conclusion he had come to on his own. So he says, we, whoever they would have been, he says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for or because no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So Nicodemus admits for himself, and he identifies at least some others who are of the same persuasion, you have to be from God. There is no question about that, because... No one could do the miracles that you have done except God be with you. So Nicodemus recognizes that Christ is special, that he's not ordinary, that he's not like everyone else. And the transition between verse number 2 and verse number 3 makes me believe that we don't have everything that was spoken between Nicodemus and Christ recorded. Because the transition is a little bit choppy, it's not as smooth maybe as we would want it to be, but in response to what Nicodemus said in verse number 2, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what did Christ say? He said this, Nicodemus Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He said in verse number 7, he said, Marvel not that I said unto you, or unto thee, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. 
What seems to be the concern of Nicodemus? What seems to be on his mind? It seems to be this, or at least this is the direction that Christ is going to present or direct him toward. It seems to be the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God a reference to? Well, a kingdom is that place from which a king would rule and reign, is it not? Kingdoms are, or kings rule from that place where they have authority, where they have a power, where they have power, where they have dominion. And so from a general sense, I know that some could, could take this discussion in many different directions, but from a general sense, here is what the scripture seems to be indicating, that the kingdom of God would be a reference to eternity in heaven with God. Okay, again, is is there more that could be said about the kingdom of God from a different perspective? Yes, but from a very general standpoint, the kingdom of God seems to be a reference to eternity in heaven in the presence of God. So what Christ says to Nicodemus is this, Sir, except a man be born again, He will not see the kingdom of God. And marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. So what has Christ just said to Nicodemus in this brief conversation that we have recorded of us or for us? We have this statement being made that if you want the end result to be heaven, then this must be so. It does not matter what you think about the process. It doesn't matter what your attitude is about the process. It doesn't matter what your thoughts are on the process. If you want to see the kingdom of God, then here is what must be true. You must be born again. Now, friends, I don't want to... To say something in a wrong manner, I don't want to say something that would be confusing because to say that something is more important than something else when you're dealing with the words of Christ, that would be inaccurate. But I would say this, there is nothing that Christ said that is more important than what he said to Nicodemus, that if a person wants to see the kingdom of God, they must be born again. If a person wants to see the kingdom of God, Christ said, you have to be born again. It doesn't matter how devout you may be to your religion. It doesn't matter how sincere you may be. And it does not matter how good of an individual you may be. You must be born again. And so tonight I want us to think about this truth for just a moment, and then we're going to add to that, so I don't want you to get excited thinking, wow, we're already almost done. No, I want us to think about something, though, that we are still under the teachings of the New Testament. We are still subject to the teachings of what Christ said and what would have been followed up by Paul and Peter and so many others, that if a person today wants to enter into the kingdom of God, They must be born again. It has to happen. 
Somebody says, well, I don't really believe I have to be born again. Well, it really doesn't matter what you believe. Somebody says, well, I, I really feel like my religion will carry me through. Christ would say your religion will not carry you through. You must be born again. It has to be done. Christ said to Nicodemus, and he would say to us, if he were with us tonight in a physical presence, he would say to you and I, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to one day enter into eternity and know the eternal bliss of heaven, you must be born again. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how moral we are. It does not matter how upright we are. It does not matter how kind we strive to be. We must be born again. It has to happen. It is an absolute must that if you want this to be the end result, this has to happen. End of discussion. So when Christ said to Nicodemus in verse number 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you know the story, you know this, that that confused Nicodemus. Because it says in verse number 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus obviously is taking what Christ said at face value. He's taking a very literal approach to the words of Christ. Okay, you're saying to me I've got to be born again, so you're suggesting that, that somehow I've got to be born like again? How is that possible whenever I am old? How is it possible for, for me to enter into my mother's womb and to be born once more? And so in verse number 5, we know what Christ does. He gives explanation and clarification to what it is he's just said. In verse number 5, Christ said this, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus says, well, well, Christ, how is it that I can be born again? I'm not going to be able to enter into my mother's womb a second time and be born a second time. So Christ said, no, 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 you're missing it. You have to be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, you may know everything that I'm about to present to us tonight. You may be fully aware of this. But I want us to think about that statement. In order to be born again, you have to be born of water and of the Spirit. Why do we need to give attention to that? Well, I think we need to give attention to it because there's some confusion on the matter. See, here's what some people would like for us to think. Here's what some people would like to promote and, and try to tell you as biblical doctrine, that in order for a person to be saved, they must be baptized because that is where the water comes in. And so in order for a person to be saved, you must be baptized. Now, you and I, we know on the surface that that's not correct, that that's not right. And here's why we know that to be true, that in order, for, uh, in order for baptism to be essential and required for salvation, 
you have to ignore and step over and reject so many other scriptures to the contrary of this idea of baptism being required for salvation. I think every one of us tonight are aware of this, that scripture says we're not saved by works. So therefore, if salvation has attached to it the act or the work of baptism, then that is something that would be required of us, and that would then make void the other portions of Scripture that would be contrary to the idea that you must be baptized to be saved. So you and I can't afford to ignore and reject and step over all those other verses to jump to a conclusion that Christ must have been saying to Nicodemus, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. But then the question is, so then what does it mean? If it doesn't mean you've got to be baptized in order to be saved, what does this mean? We have to kind of keep the context in mind to really answer the question. By nationality, what was Christ? He was a Jew. By nationality, what were the Pharisees? Well, they were Jews. So what do you have? You have a Jew speaking to a Jew. Well, by way of religion and by way of practice and by way of observance, what was Nicodemus? Scripture says that he was a Pharisee. So if you think about this, we've got a Jew speaking to a Jew. We've got the author of the law in God, in Christ. We've got the author of the law speaking to one who is striving to be an observer of the law. Because the Jews are still very much under the law at this time. Okay. You must be born again, and you must be born of water as well as the Spirit. What does it mean then when Christ brings up the subject of water? I don't know if this is true of you, but sometimes when I'm reading through the Old Testament and I'm reading through the law, I get bogged down. Sometimes I don't just get bogged down. Sometimes I get just plain bored. And I'm thinking, why do I need to know all this? Because it gives context. Now follow this. A Jew speaking to a Jew, the lawgiver speaking to one who was striving to be an observer of the law, at least in his own mind. And according to the law... When a Jew sinned, what did they have to do? Well, they had to present some kind of an offering and some kind of a sacrifice. Whenever there was some kind of an impurity, whenever there was some kind of a, an uncleanness in the house or in the individual, what did they have to do? Well, there were certain things that had to be done, but part of what had to be done in much of the law in order to remove the contamination, to remove the impurity, to, rem to remove that which defiled the individual, you know what it had to be done? It had to be washed with water. Now, now, this is, I think, very important, okay? In order for that which contaminated or defiled the person 
It had to be ceremonially cleansed with water. It had to be washed away, so to speak, so as to have the impurities removed. Now, this may not excite us tonight, but I want us to think about this. What seems to make the most sense when you compare Scripture to Scripture is this, is that if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again, and you have to be washed from everything that defiles you, everything that contaminates you, everything that purifies you. You must have your sins dealt with. There has to be a washing of the sins from your life. We say things like this, right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We talk about how we were cleansed, how we were saved, how we were made right. Well, it's in part through the washing of of our souls, of our spirits, who we are when Christ, when God cleansed us and purified us and made us whole. I think to an extent, if we'd consider it this way, I think to an extent what Christ is saying to Nicodemus is this, is someone other than you has to address your sin. Someone other than you has to deal with your sin. You have got to have your sins cleansed and washed and taken away. You, Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of God, you've got to deal with your sin. Could we just be honest tonight and say this? A lot of people want salvation. They just don't want to deal with their sin. Is that fair to say? They want to be cleansed and they want to be purified. They just don't want to deal with their sin. They want to go to heaven. They just don't want to have to wash anything and clean anything up and and have anything removed. They want to go to heaven and they want to spend forever with God. They just don't want to go through the process that would require their sins being dealt with. Well, here's Christ and he's saying, Listen, Nicodemus, I'm telling you the truth. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a must. This is a have-to situation. Nicodemus says, I don't understand. Christ says, well, you've got to deal with your sin if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God. But he said, it's not just that you are born of water. He said, it's also that you are born of the Spirit. What does that seem to indicate? What does that seem to to shed light on? Well, it, it seems to indicate this, that it has to be a work of God that does this in the life of the individual. How many of us tonight would agree to, the, to this thought, to this, this doctrine, this position, whatever we'd like to call it? How many of us would agree with this position that unless God does the work through the Spirit the work of salvation and sins being dealt with is not going to take place properly. Would we agree with that position? If the Spirit is not the one who has done the work, then the work has not been done. I think you know this. I think you're aware of this. 
that there are people who have said things like this, oh yeah, I did that. Oh yeah, I took care of that. Oh yeah, I I prayed that prayer. Oh yes, uh, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. So, So when did the Spirit of God begin to work in your life? When did the Spirit of God begin to show you that you were a sinner and your sins needed to be dealt with? And they look at you with kind of a blank look and kind of a blank stare. And they look at you like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Friends, it has everything to do with whether or not a person has come to know Christ and will see the kingdom of God one day. If the Spirit of God has not done the work, then a spiritual rebirth has never taken place. Just because a person decided to say a prayer, just because a person decided to follow and do what their friend did one day at some kind of an event, just because a person decided, you know, I want to be religious and I want to be a good person, so therefore I think I am, listen, that is not enough If Christ has not done the work, or if God has not done the work through the Spirit, then friends, the process of being born again has not happened as is required to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, teacher, instructor, We know there's something special about you. We know that that you've got to be from God because you couldn't do the miracles if you were not sent from God. Christ doesn't argue it. He doesn't deal with that. He just says, let me share something with you. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You've got to have your sins dealt with. You've got to have your sins washed away. You've got to be cleansed. You've got to be purified. You've got to be, you've got to be restored. And the only way that that can be done is through the work of the Spirit of God. And again, I know that tonight most of us would say, well, Brother Kyle, you're right. This sermon, this one wasn't really for me. I got that settled a long time ago. Brother Kyle, it was 15 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it may have been. Brother Kyle, I know that on this particular day, in this particular season of life, the Holy Spirit of God dealt with me, and the Spirit of God showed me that I was a sinner. I cried out to God to save me, and He washed me. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever. I understand that that's the testimony of most here this evening. But it's possible that someone here tonight does not have that confidence. They may look at their life and they may say something like this, I've tried to be a very religious person. I've tried to be a very dedicated person. I've tried to be a very devout person. I've tried to be a very good person. And if that's the testimony of someone here tonight, I want us to know that that is not enough. That's not my opinion. That's not my position. That's not what I've concluded. That is what Jesus Christ said. He said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Tonight, I would ask each of us, if there is any question, if you're not quite certain, I would ask us to answer this question. Do we know that there was a time when the Spirit of God spoke to us and dealt with us about our sin? And if not, I would beg you to give serious consideration to the matter because being a good person will not cut it
Being faithful to this church every time the doors are open, it will not cut it. The sin must be dealt with through the Spirit of God or the rebirth has never taken place. We must be born again. Do we have that confidence? Do we have that settled? Do we have it nailed down to where we can say tonight there is no doubt? Or is there still some hint of doubt that needs to be addressed? Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you would work in the heart of anyone who may have a doubt. Lord, of anyone who may have a struggle in their mind right now as to whether or not they've ever been saved, I pray, Lord, that you would show them that being religious in and of itself is not enough. Claiming goodness in their personal life is simply not enough. Lord, would you help us tonight to realize we must be born again, and the only way that that can happen is when our sins are washed away by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that you'd use the message tonight to be a help to some. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.